The following program is part of the Inner Circle Podcasting Group. Go to innercirclecomics.com for more high-quality podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate Now to become a supporter. Uh, this is Rom- Romberto uh, Chicken Feather, and I am the artist of comics, and you're listening to the Two-Headed uh, Chimichanga Pod Dance with Nerd Joe Matt Party Town Enchilada House Podcast. Sort of, sort of break it, break it down like good. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is my pleasure to welcome you to THN episode 231, where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, November 11th. My name is Matt Baum. That is at Matt Baumstein on the Twitter. And when I'm not brandishing a machete, an old-timey hockey mask, and hacking up protesting co-eds, I am writing a comic speculator blog for WorthPoint.com. And I'm Joe Patrick. That's at Joe Patrick 116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not making up lies about stabbing Matt to bolster my tough guy turned nice guy cred, topical humor. You go. Try and stay with us, Joe. What's the other half of my intro? I don't know. I, we need a new intro for you because this formerly manager of whatever, that's bullshit. And people will know who you are. They're one of our sponsors, Matt. Tell them who you are. Matt, nobody cares that I am a digital operations, an online operations specialist for BH Media. There you go, folks. In this week's unlucky episode, you'll hear our reviews of the goddamned number one and all new, all different Avengers, which we're going to refer to as ANAD from now on. No, no, no. An ad. An ad. <laughs> I like that even better. After that, Joe and I will surf the space waves. We'll re review 10 more of this week's new comics during a ludicrous speed round. Then. We'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we'll be preparing to read two of next week's comics in the dark. And finally, we'll check in with Da Orca in snowy Maine, where he's rapping about selling comics in his Take the Money and Run segment. Well, Joe, we picked the unluckiest day of the year to record. So let's wish everyone a happy Friday the 13th, and then we'll talk about this week's big news! That was a Exciting news, Matt. This week, Joel Hodgson, a.k.a. Joel. Just another guy in an orange jumpsuit. Has officially launched a Kickstarter campaign to bring back Mystery Science Theater 3000 after 16 years. The campaign has a goal of $2 million. And when I checked it yesterday, it was it had sailed way past a million already. That's and it had insane. only been like a day. That is insane. Uh, and that money, Hodgson says, will enable him to make three full-length episodes of MST3K to shop around to TV networks and streaming platforms, and then three additional episodes for every $1.1 million raised over the original goal. So for a full 12-episode season, it's $5.5 million needed. My God. Matt, are you excited to return to the Satellite of Love? There are few things in this world that I love as much as Mystery Science Theater 3000. And Joel can attest that often when he comes over here to record the show on Saturday morning, this is a rare Friday night occurrence, but often when he comes over on Saturday morning, I am watching an episode of Mystery Science Theater 3000 because I have downloaded the entire 10 seasons. (laughs) I have them all. And sometimes I just let them play at random. I cannot tell you how excited I am. And here's what bums me out. A lot of people looked at this and they said, well, this, this amount of money is obscene. This is ridiculous. 
why do they need this much money? And the problem lies in the fact that it was way cheaper to get the rights to these films to mess with back in the day when they were doing it on Comedy Central. And now that people realize there's money here and whatnot, they have to pay and they have to pay out the wazoo to do it. Mm. And it sucks that it's this expensive. I mean, that is crazy expensive. It really is for what they're going well, to do. But I mean, $1.1 million per episode. That doesn't seem that's pretty like expensive. that expensive when you're talking about paying people and crews. And I mean, I get that, but we're not talking about something that's going to be on like NBC primetime. This is still going to be a puppet show. This is still going to be three shadows in front of a right. But screen. this is MST3K after 20 years right. of developing an enormous cult following. Here's the other thing that bums me out. I mean, you don't think like sci-fi or comedy central is going to pick this back. Up? I would assume so. I would assume so. I would hope so. The other thing that bums me out is that Hodgson wants to cast a new host, new mad scientist and new voices for crow and Tom, which they have done before. And I'm fine with that. But the other guys are working and they're doing it through riff tracks. Yeah. And riff tracks is wonderful. It really is great. You and I have gone to some of the live riff track shows yep. and this week, Mike Nelson and Kevin Murphy is Kevin who Murphy. I saw yeah. posting about it. Mike Nelson and Kevin Murphy both tweeted. They're like, look, we're, we're not involved in this. So please stop asking. And that makes me think that there might be some rift between these guys. Yeah. I kind of wondered that. That's awful. That is just awful. Be you know, because riff tracks is very heavily involved. Mike Nelson, not Joel Hodgson. Yeah. And Joel said in his Kickstarter that, that he hopes that the original cast will return quote, Mystery Science Theater has already refreshed itself once with a completely new cast, so I think it deserves to do that again. The original cast is going to be invited back to write, produce, and do cameos as their mad scientist characters, and then we'll have a new cast with new talent. But yeah, I just, I can't help but feel like maybe there's some bad blood there. Yeah. And that's it, gossip, sure and we don't know like that, it. and we don't want to get into that too badly. The, let's focus on the good news. Mystery Science Theater is coming back. Yeah. It's very exciting. The Kickstarter is going right now. It's only been up for as we record this, like since Wednesday. I think that's right. Yeah. And it's got rewards that range from T-shirts and digital downloads for modest donations up to owning the actual Crow and Tom Servo puppets. I can't tell you what that would do to me. I mean, like, seriously, like some people would freak out to own a piece of like the cross that Jesus was crucified <laughs> on. I would step over that to get to a Tom Servo. Yeah, but you, how many of these Tom Servos do you think they oh made? My, I don't care, Joe. <laughs> right? And uh, you can also buy your way onto the creative team as a writer or an executive producer for you real high rollers out there. That seems a little extreme to me. But yeah, they're like, <laughs> donate 10 grand and yeah, you right. can come be in the writer's room. I don't want like, rich, not funny guy working on this. Yeah, <laughs> but it's awesome. And obviously... The fans were so excited because they turned out in droves like. OK, so they are already at 15,080 backers with one point six million dollars. That is incredible. Crazy. Now, I can't do the math, but I think that's roughly a million dollars per backer. Yeah, Something like that's that. incredible. <laughs> that is incredible. And Joel Hodgson still looks great. The looks guy, the same. He hasn't aged a day. <laughs> What do you think, sirs? Oh, great. Get Foghat on the phone. Joe Patrick. After months of rumors and speculation, the Hollywood Reporter has learned that Jeffrey Dean Morgan has landed the role of the villainous Negan 
on The Walking Dead. Oh. According to THR, unnamed sources, who you always know you can trust. Definitely. <laughs> Morgan will make his first appearance on the show during the mid-season finale. Is Sam and Dean's dad from Supernatural a good fit for this role? What do you I think? think that this is perfect casting. Yeah. At first, I would have told you when they said, we're going to cast Negan for The Walking Dead, I would have automatically assumed that he was a slightly younger guy like not young but really? like 30s i would have guessed older i don't know i just the I, way he's drawn he doesn't look like he's older no but i mean i pictured him in his 40s i guess i don't know but with the second they put out jeffrey dean morgan's name yeah i was like oh yes yeah yes that couldn't possibly be better so negan or negan or however the hell you say it he made his debut in the one like megan with an n megan, right yeah, <laughs> megan <laughs> Megan. Negan. <laughs> Negan. Oh, I can't stand Negans. Ugh. Good. Well, I dated a Negan once. <laughs> so Negan debuted in the 100th issue of The Walking Dead, where he and his barbed wire bat Lucille took the life of one of the series' oldest cast members. No spoilers. No spoilers. THR notes that the casting process was long and that the character was referred to as Orin, most likely to keep his under introduction under wraps. Oh, okay. All right. They do that a lot sometimes sure. where they'll they'll right. they'll say, "Yeah, we're filming this movie. Uh Matt Bomb goes to the grocery store." Right. Oh, what? It's Ghostbusters 3. Oh my god. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Morgan's character is expected to be around for the long haul, much like his comic book counterpart. He'll recur in season 6 and then become a regular in season seven in the far future year of 2016 yeah jeffrey dean morgan is one of my favorite character actors just because i love him he can really put his personality into whatever he's doing he's no stranger to comic properties he was the comedian and watchman he is supposed to portray thomas wayne the upcoming superman v batman colon dawn of justice but we know him best as john winchester love it natural and he's so goddamn good on that show Oh, I love him. Now, I'm going to bring up a, a point from our Periscope audience, which I know you love so much. I hate them. Black, you know that I hate them. Black Scorpion <laughs> says that's about the point where he dropped the book because it just felt very needless and cruel. It was getting into torture porn territory. And I will kind of agree. My interest in The Walking Dead steeply dropped after issue 100. I'm still doing it. But I think that Negan is a very interesting character and i think that jeffrey dean morgan is an excellent character actor and so this gets me excited about the walking dead again and that is a show that i have talked about where i am kind of in a love-hate relationship with it right. i just recently watched all of season six up till this point and when i was done i was like well i guess that's kind of fun oh i still <laughs> love it i still love it by the way lucille named after bb king's guitar yeah, I know that the name go. of B.B. King's go. guitar is Lucille, but he never beat anybody to death with it. <laughs> you don't know that. You don't know that. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I don't know that. So here's a story that I think you'll appreciate. Why me specifically? I think you know. <laughs> Veteran retailer Chuck Rosansky has announced this week that he's putting the 22,000 square foot mile high comics warehouse on the market where it is currently listed at about $1.6 million, which is triple what he paid for it 30 years ago. There's a reason why warehouse space has become so expensive in Denver, Colorado. Yes. An article in the Denver Post explains, stating that outdoor cultivation of pot is still illegal in Colorado, which means that properly zoned industrial space is at a premium. 
In his email to customers, Rosansky writes, quote, by pure happenstance, both of our buildings are legally zoned for commercial pot growing operations. Buildings with that zoning here in Colorado have exploded in value over the past 48 months, more than doubling in market value. While pot growers still cannot legally open bank accounts, they have become the most active buyers of commercial warehouse buildings in Denver, usually showing up with sacks of cash. It's true. <laughs> Rosansky went on to admit that the new laws have brought his business full circle he said, quote, we didn't call it Mile High Comics because it was based in Denver. The whole thing was tongue in cheek. I was a massive stoner when I was back in college. Like, whoa, are you kidding me? Comic book readers <laughs> smoke weed. <laughs> have you ever seen Chuck Rosansky? Uh, no, I don't think I have. He has a beautiful, like four foot long braided ponytail. Oh, my God. That he has worn proudly for about 40 years. So full on hippie. <laughs> oh yeah. Big time. He's a super hippie. Wow. And he wears like bolo ties with that uh, turquoise, oh, those God. turquoise stones and <laughs> Chuck. Mile High is going to have to be out of the warehouse by the end of March, which means about 6 million comic books must be relocated to their 60,000 square foot superstore. How would you like to have that job? Can you picture those like long box monkeys? Ugh, man. <laughs> uh, on the bright side for fans, hoping to lighten the load, Rosansky is offering deep discounts on trade paperbacks, graphic novels, and hardcovers, which, if their reputation is to be believed, <laughs> should bring the prices down to actual retail levels. Well, possibly. We'll see. Let's not jump the gun here. They have something of a reputation. We'll just say that in a kind way. We've all heard those stories about someone opening a chest and finding an absolute ridiculous comic book find. It happened again. And when New Jersey artist and antique collector Joseph Getzinger acquired an enormous 10,000 piece collection of 1930s era cartooning printing plates, he had no idea it contained a cachet of lost artifacts from comic book history. Within the larger collection, Getzinger found 100 or so plates for two strips Uncle Otto by Carl Heck, very old school stuff here, and Harry Carey by Willis B. Renzi. After further investigation, he discovered that both strips were the creation of the same man and that they represented the earliest known sequential artwork of Will Eisner. That's a big deal. That is insane. Uh, he said in a little um, note he posted that he had these zinc plates and, you know, obviously they're printed, they're carved into the plates right. in relief. Like literally carved. Yeah. yeah. And so he's looking at the plate and he's like, holy shit, Renzi is Eisner backwards. Yeah. <laughs> and then he got it confirmed and it's all true. It's ridiculous. This is so ridiculous. At one point, zinc printing plates like this were considered so valuable that original comic art was used as packing material to protect them during shipping. Yeah. Which is one of the only reasons that any Golden Age art survived to the modern yeah, day. So literally, they drew the pages, transferred it to the zinc plates, took the pages they drew, the and then, pages, and wrapped the zinc plates. First in appearance them. <laughs> of the Golden Age Flash. Yeah. Stuff. Totally. Yeah, like the first appearance of Superman crumpled up to make sure this plate doesn't get screwed up for yeah. shipping. That is insane. Through some kind of miracle, the plates survived being melted down during World War II and ended up in this huge collection. 
It's crazy. Now, Locust Moon Press, who put out last year's award-winning anthology, Little Nemo, Dream Another Dream, which was intensely beautiful. Crazy. They intend to publish these almost entirely never-before-seen strips from his teenage years in a definitive edition, which will highlight the first origins of one of the forefathers of modern cartooning. Locust Moon is about a third of the way toward their $20,000 Kickstarter goal. You'll notice about $880,000 less than what Mystery Science Theater has raised (laughs) (laughs) to fund their project, which has a lot of very affordable donation tiers. Seriously, we have to do this. We have to fund this. And the tiers are... The donation tiers are actually quite modest. You can get a digital version of the book for not much. Right. And to get a hardcover of the book, it's only like 40 bucks. There's a retailer option where a retailer can invest an amount and get five copies for their store. This is a no-brainer for anyone. This is anyone. a lost piece of comic history. And an absolute, yeah, it's a must-have for anybody that's really? interested in this kind of this history. This is incredible. So cool. Yeah, I'm definitely going to donate. That is the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories and everything we missed, hit us up at the DHN forums where I am shilling for your donations so I can make the $10,000 donation to the MST3K Kickstarter and finally realize my dream of hanging the original Satellite of Love model in the ziggurat. I don't think that was one of the choices. It would be stunning. Every Sunday, the servo to my crow, Joe Patrick, posts the question of the week in the THN forums. Joey, what are we asking the nerds this week? This week's question was submitted by Anthony from Brooklyn with an inspirational hat tip to D. Murray for uh, kind of getting him there. Okay. They both do great work on the forums. They do. They do. So the question is this. What artist absolutely defines a particular character or team for you. I have my answer instantly. Just for example, instantly. John Byrne, X-Men. It's like one of the most classic right examples. On, Frank right Miller, on. Daredevil. Yeah. But it might not be the most obvious answer. You no. might be like, oh man, I can't get enough of Steve Ditko speedball. <laughs> no one's going to say that. No one, not even me. <laughs> Steve Ditko speedball series is a waking nightmare that thankfully only lasted 10 issues. So here's the deal with the question of the week this week. Matt's going out of town for his anniversary. Happy anniversary, Matt and Casey. Hey. So this week's question is going to be forums only. You can send MP3s and stuff if you want. We will not be playing them on the show. What that means is that the question of the week that is current, the Friday the 13th question, we will be recording that next week when Matt gets back. So you have all the time in the world. There you go. You've got all the time in the world to go to the THN forums as soon as I get it posted and answer this week's question, courtesy of Anthony and D. It's review time in the ziggurat where Matt and I pick two very unlucky comics and shake them like crying babies. I feel like it's the only way to get them to settle anything down. to do with being unlucky. Settle down! You could come up with anything that has something to do with bad luck. It's a very unlucky baby, I guess. I mean, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, what are you reading this week? This week, I checked out the goddamned number one God from damn. Image, written by Jason Aaron, with art by R.M. Guerra. This was 40 pages for $3.99. That is the creative team of Scalped, by the way. It is. 
Before he became a Marvel mainstay, Jason Aaron and R.M. Guerra cut their teeth on a Vertigo comic named Scalped. Sorry, spoilers. That followed a badass Native American sheriff on an Indian reservation. It was one of the meanest, most violent, and downright nasty comics I have ever read, and I loved it. Flash forward to 2014, and Aaron starts another badass series at Image titled Southern Bastards, usurping Scalped for the toughest and meanest comic series ever printed. Well, this past Wednesday, <laughs> Aaron seeks to outdo himself yet again with The Goddamned. The story takes place in the wastelands after God kicked Adam and Eve out of heaven. And the scenery is an absolute beautiful nightmare, as illustrated by Gera. I have loved this guy's work in the past, but here he seems to have been channeling some truly terrifying black metal album covers when working on his landscapes. The world that Gera creates here is just disgusting. The earth is decaying. It's littered with feces and corpses. Yeah, you know, it never occurred to me in my uh, biblical upbringing that the earth for a long time probably looked a lot like Desolus from Warcraft. Yeah, totally. From Warcraft. <laughs> the wandering tribes of men. Giant animal skeletons <laughs> <Yeah>. everywhere. <laughs> the wandering tribes of men are more like orcs eating and crapping with complete disregard for one another. I'm not going to spoil the reveal of the main character. You will figure it's it out pretty obvious, pretty though. quickly. But he is visibly unlike the other filthy proto humans and uh, dick naked for half the issue. I should mention <laughs> it's out there. I wasn't sure what to expect when the early press for this series called it Aaron's take on the biblical story of what happened after Eden. But this was amazing. Aaron is a master of feel bad storytelling and violence. But he never crosses into that line of Avatar territory, of senseless gore and nudity, because it's just what our fans expect. It serves the story here. Right. It, it makes sense. And it works well, especially when we learn who the character actually is. I can't say enough about Gera's art. This is truly stunning work. It is not for the faint of heart. But I'm saying, do yourself a favor, put on a Samothrace record and buy this comic oh sam is a band oh they're terrifying that's <laughs> what i was listening to while i read this and it was perfect <laughs> so you kind of said it all uh it is it was just very good it was very good it was very intense it's just not what i thought it was going to be at all kind of unexpected yeah you know what actually it wasn't that unexpected when they so when they told me the creative team of scalped is going to come and do a biblical comic book I and suppose. it's called the goddamn i suppose it's like oh okay not that it wasn't still a pleasant read with lots of surprises, but I kind of primed myself going into it. It's like, okay, well, this is certainly going to be mean and nasty, right. and it 100% is. I loved the last page. <laughs> it was very good. Yeah. I enjoyed it a lot. I'm in a relationship with religion, and it's complicated. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, and but I took it in stride. I read it and enjoyed it. If you were a fan of books like... Uh, preacher in the sense that like you're okay with outrageous elements bordering on the blasphemous this is going to be a book for you just keep in mind if you are not it's fiction of just course keep in mind but it's certainly not going to be for everyone of course i'm giving it a buy it okay thank you joe patrick tell me about the anad avengers anad avengers <laughs> number one all new all different avengers number one from marvel comics written by mark wade with art by adam kubert and mahmoud azrar it's 48 pages for 
There's no way I was not going to be excited to see Mark Wade finally get a chance to tackle Marvel's premier super team. No offense, Fantastic Four and X-Men. Right. Unfortunately, after what I thought was kind of a humdrum first issue, I couldn't help but be a little let down. This issue is split into two short stories, the opening tale dealing with the threat that will eventually bring the team together and the backup detailing the first encounter between two of the Avengers younger members. The lead story spends more time focused on talking heads than it does uniting Earth's mightiest heroes. And I'm not saying that's always a bad thing, but this is the Avengers. Yeah. The stories seem to move at a snail's pace as Captain America and Iron Man deal with an uncomfortable social appearance. Which I really like that scene. That was a great scene. That's fair. And then a nameless villain teams up with a completely bland alien menace that's been farted into the Marvel Universe. Yeah. Thanks to their use in the Avengers film. I don't give a shit about the Chitari. The Chitari. Make, I, them, make them the Badoon, you know? And then all of a sudden, like, whoa, the Badoons are badasses. So here's the deal about the Chitari. The Chitari was the name that Mark Miller made up for the ultimate universe version of the Skrulls. Yeah. And so when they did Avengers, the movie, right. They used the Chitari as the aliens. Of course, they were nothing like the Skrulls. Nothing they didn't not at all. Shapeshift. They were just a faceless army for right. Loki to cause trouble with. Yeah. Ridiculous. And so because of the immense popularity of the Avengers, now we somebody at Marvel decided we needed the Chitari in the comic books. And they're all over the damn place. Who are a, Poor representation of a different alien race that we already have in the comics. Right. They are dumb. Make them the Badoon. Make them the Badoon. Make them the sh anything. Anything. The Badoon. The, yeah. They're perfect to be the Badoon. Yeah. They're <laughs> kind of lizardy. Yeah. The Avengers have disbanded before and their inevitable reunion was always a high stakes affair. It either involved the Asgardian God of Lies or a prison full of supervillains. Here we get a boring alien Hulk and a guy... That we spend half the issue thinking is the new handsome Dr. Doom. It's not. It is not. It's not. By the way, I really like the new handsome Dr. Doom. <laughs> I kind of, yeah. Kinda, He's it's, awesome. That's a different book. It was so good. Here's my nerd bet. It's not really a bet because there are no stakes. Okay. I think that the mystery man is the Sphinx. The Sphinx? Yes, because he specifically hates Nova. Okay. And he's got cosmic powers. All right. I don't hate that. I don't know if this guy looked Egyptian or not, but that brings me to my next topic, which is the art. Yeah. Uh, it seems like Adam Kubert just kind of phoned this in. There are some pages and panels where you can tell that he was really invested. Yeah. There's a scene where uh, Miles Morales gets smashed out of a window. Yeah. And it's a two page spread where he's kind of flying through the window and then simultaneously trying to catch debris from crushing an, a bystander. Right. Those were, that was a beautiful spread. It was good. And then there are other pages where he barely bothered to draw more than faceless blobs that are supposed to be people. Yeah. It Co looked unfinished. It looked unfinished. Kubert does create some inventive panel layouts, and then he draws every scene with very straightforward, straight on, or from a very obvious angle, or in very pedestrian poses. Right. Kubert is an industry veteran, so you know that the talent is there. You can even see the potential in every page, but this just felt kind of half-assed. Even the colors by Sonia Obach seemed off to me because they were full of unnecessary digital tricks like 
What good is an invisibility power that makes you crackle with bright blue energy every time you use it? Well, it makes you look awesome while you're invisible. <laughs> so, I mean, do you just want to be invisible or do you want to look kick-ass while you're uh, doing it? <laughs> okay, fair. On the flip side, though, the second story had excellent art from Mahmoud Asrar and colorist Dave McCaig. Asrar's panel layouts are more traditional, but his characters are detailed and expressive and they ooze with body language and the exaggerated movement that I remember learning about from how to draw comics the Marvel way. In this story, the young Nova chases a monster into Jersey City, running into Ms. Marvel along the way and making a terrible first impression. Wade shows that he has a firm grasp on both characters' personalities. They feel like they've stepped right out of the pages of their solo titles. It's charming, and it sets the stage for their future meeting, I'm sure in later issues. Sure. Overall, I just thought this was a really mixed bag. I, I wanted to love it, Ultimately, though, I was a little disappointed. Don't get me wrong. It's Mark Wade. You all know how I feel about Mark Wade. There's still a lot to like in the script, and I'm willing to stick with the series as he builds the team. You guys have been dating for a long time. Really long time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but this didn't really feel like the Avengers. And with a roster that I was kind of unsure about going in, I kind of needed it to. Yeah. And if Azrar is going to have to share the art duties with someone... I have to say I'm not happy with Kubert being that choice. So, though it hurts to do it, I'm giving Anad Avengers a skimmit. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better. I feel the exact same way. It just wasn't what I was hoping for. It had great moments. Yeah. The and Girl Scout cookie thing was funny. There was some really cool stuff that was involved that happened in there, but yeah, it ultimately it just felt like a mess. It felt like a mess. Like they don't know what to do and they let them put this issue out. Because it doesn't reveal anything and it doesn't let you know anything that actually happened in the end of Secret Wars, why they broke up or what's going on or anything like that. It felt loose at best and it was fine. That's all I can say about it. It's a skim it for me as well. So that is a double buy it for the goddamn and a double skim it for a NAD Avengers. Now it is your turn. So make your way across the wasteland of the internet to the Eden we call the THN Forums. And let us know what you thought of these comics. If you have half a brain and even the roughest idea of how our solar system works, then you probably brushed off this week's latest internet rumor about the Earth plunging into 15 days of darkness starting on November 15th. Coincidence? Yes. <laughs> because of science jargon tantamount to the mumboist of jumbo. But just in case, Matt and I have borrowed the Silver Surfer surfboard to double check the solar system while we review 10 more of this week's comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round! Ludicrous Speed! Go! Superman, American Alien, number one from DC. Screenwriter Max Landis has demonstrated what I would consider to be a disdain for Superman and his history, <laughs> but I won't lie. He does a great job with this standalone tale of how young Clark Kent learned to fly and how his parents learned to deal with it. It's kind of heartwarming and it features great art by Nick Dragota, plus the final page snapshot of what Jonathan and Martha Kent went through before finding baby Kal-El. It's heartbreaking. Yes. You have to read all the stuff uh, on that page. Uh. I'm not too sure I'm excited by Landis's teases for future episodes, 
but I really liked this one. Superman American Alien number one gets a buy it. Buy it for me too. I loved it. All new Wolverine number one from Marvel. I heard this was great. Writer Tom Taylor takes on this new monthly Wolvie title that sees Logan's clone Laura, X-23, putting on her clone dad's duds. Rather than the lengthy soul pain we slogged through in Logan's Wolvie for the last, what, eight to ten f***ing years? Long time. Taylor drops us into the action following Laura trying to be a hero for a change. David Lopez kills it on the art here, and I love the design of the new Wolvie costume. Why this didn't get the all different title, I'm not sure, but I hope they drop the all new real f***ing quick. I am giving Wolvie 23 a buy it. All new and all new slash all different is the new new. Remember <laughs> yeah. 10 years ago where yes. every book was new this, new that? Illuminati, number one from Marvel. I would have been okay with retiring the Illuminati concept in the Marvel relaunch, but this isn't even really that. And finally, they just gave the book the title it needed. Right. Instead, of, and, and right. And Instead of New Avengers, it should have been Avengers Illuminati. Except <laughs> this isn't the Avengers or the Illuminati. No, this is the hood. It's neither. Assembling a team of supervillains in an effort to consolidate power, but not all of the villains are willing participants. Marvel is recycling the title for name recognition, while writer Joshua Williamson delivers a story that I feel like Bendis and Remender already covered years ago. Haven't we already read the story about the hood? Building his army of supervillains? I really like this. I'm not saying it wasn't well done. And there's a classic villain tries to go straight angle that I always appreciate. I love when villains go straight. I, I love too. it. I do too. The art by Sean Crystal is kind of goofy, but I kind of enjoyable. It. I liked it. I'm giving Illuminati number one a skim it because... It's a buy it for me. I'm kind of mad that it's the Illuminati. I like Williamson. <laughs> I don't care for the title, but I'm giving this a buy it. I enjoyed it. I think they're trying to recapture a Superior Foes of Spider-Man kind of vibe. Definitely. But it's less funny. Okay. Yeah, it's, I'll give you that. But it's more the serious. artwork makes it seem like it should be funny. I liked it. I really liked that. The stuff with Titan and Absorbing Man. I loved that. My bottom line is that I was kind of confused by it. Like, what is this? What's it trying to do? And right. why does it exist? Fair enough. Hey, okay, I'll give you that. But man. Ludicrous speed. I'll do Hawkeye number one from Marvel. Jeff Lemire takes over the embattled Hawkeye comic and does a great job keeping the street level He's been writing it feel. for... He wrote the previous... I know, I know, but still, it was, you can't deny that it was embattled. <laughs> he's still... He's... He's not new to the job is what I'm saying. Right. He's keeping the street level relatable field the story of what Hawkeye does when he's not Avenger-ing. Perez continues to supply pitch perfect, beautiful art. I love Ramon Perez. And in true form, switches to a completely different art style that we've never seen from him. And this is a guy that switches a lot. Like, I think Ramon Perez can draw whatever you want. Totally agree. And seriously. He does it for a flashback here it works so well although I have to say that when Kate was in New Avengers she seemed to be the same age as Cassie Lang who seems to have been de-aged no Kate was older was she yeah she was college aged okay because I feel like Cassie is like 12 I think they definitely de-aged Cassie okay but I think that Young Avengers aged her so I think that they <laughs> yeah I think that she's <laughs> I think she was always supposed to be kind of around the same age as Franklin or maybe a, a couple years older so like 8 yeah. Really? Yeah, KS Cassie in the in the 90s books where she was running around where uh Scott Lang was with the Fantastic Four. K 
Cassie was young. Yeah, I guess she was. And then when New Avengers came out, and it was the first time we'd seen... She was like 14, It was the first time we'd seen Cassie Lang in a long time, and she was definitely in high school. Regardless, that has nothing to do with all new Hawkeye. Cassie Lang talk! I'm giving all new Hawkeye a huge bite. Welcome to Cassie Cast. (laughs) The Ultimates, number one from Marvel. (laughs) This is the third time Al Ewing has tried to make this iteration of the Avengers stick. But this time, instead of keeping them as relatable neighborhood heroes... He's reshaped them into the all-new, all-different Ultimates, Earth's Cosmic Protectors. This book's got a lot of explaining to do, (laughs) namely, how does anybody in the main Marvel Universe know what the Ultimates are? Yes. And how did the Triskelion end up in the main Marvel Universe? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, uh, I assume that's something that will shake out in the pages of Secret Wars. You know what? I don't think Secret Wars is going to take the time to address how the Triskelion ended up in the Marvel Universe. One of the many tie-ins. Sure. Anyway, I liked Ewing's earlier street-level attempts with these characters, but I thought this was a real treat. He's added some characters like Black Panther and Captain Marvel. Love Captain Marvel. Elevating the group to real A-list status while keeping the spirit of the Mighty Avengers, which was the previous version of the group. Right. This, though, is a group that solves problems with more than just punching. I find Kenneth Roquefort's art completely baffling and mesmerizing at the same time. I feel like he toned it down a little bit for this one. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Uh, the Ultimates number one gets a buy it from me. I thought it was great. Just another sheep. Number one from Action Lab. A teen with strange powers sets out on a road trip in 1969 America to find out where his new abilities come from, but ends up joining a group of war protesters as they storm the lawn of the White House. Very well written and original story here by Matt Haggerty and great art by J.D. Faith. Really was pretty to look at. This is an issue that could be going for heavy speculator prices soon. So go buy just another sheep number one right now if you don't know what i was just saying there it's a buy it last sons of america number one from boom i really loved this children of men ask story from philip kennedy johnson and matthew dow smith six names between two dudes that's crazy in a world where a plague has rendered the majority of women in north america infertile corrupt adoption agents quote unquote travel to poorer countries seeking families willing to part with their children for a price. But when greed gets the best of one of our characters and he kidnaps the wrong kid, things get really bad really fast. I thought this was a really compelling story beautifully drawn by Smith and it's got a really slick design thanks to Michelle Ankley I'm excited to read more of this Last Sons of America number one gets a buy it It's a really cool book. I like it too Nova number one from Marvel Apparently, Nova is neither all new nor all different and still a kid. Sean Ryan writes the comic with a very all-ages feel. It's not a kiddie book, but it's definitely not for me. Artist Corey Smith is good on art, but I'm just not crazy about the Earthbound ventures of Kid Nova. The story was fine, but the end was completely predictable and left me feeling nothing. I suppose this is a good enough Nova comic for any preteen who's never heard of the character, but I want fucking Richard Ryder, and I'm the Marvel Space Cops, and I want them back, okay? Nova, you get to leave it. I was going to give it a skim it. I'm giving a f- No, because it wasn't that bad. It wasn't no. that bad. It, it just, wasn't bad at all, in it's fact. It's just a waste of my time. No, this it's a waste of your time, but you're judging it based on your prejudgment, not based on Do how the book is done. you want to read this Nova book every month? I thought it was good. I thought it was 
I read it. I was like, man, you know what? I enjoyed this more. All right, fine, fine, fine. Skim it. There you go. Thank you. God. Limbo, number one from Image. Casper Wingyard and Dan Waters, two creators completely unknown to me. I think it's Wygengard. Wygengard. <laughs> deliver a beautiful neon-tinged noir detective story featuring an amnesiac detective, gorgeous dames, and a mix of multicultural mysticism that doesn't seem like it should work, but it totally does. I'm not 100% what's going on in this story, <laughs> but I know that I liked it. And I know that I want more of it. I'm giving Limbo number one a buy it. It was gorgeous. Cool. Slash and burn number one from Vertigo. I'm still trying to figure out how I feel about writer Cy Spurrier. I've enjoyed him in the past. Editor's note, Cy Spurrier won my Golden Beppo for Best Mending Series in 2013. Memorizing math. Here, Spurrier is writing the story of a pyromaniac firefighter named Roisin, which is an Irish name that means Rose of Fire groan the dialogue was so quippy it just took that's racist completely out of the story i felt like Cy spurrier was writing the csi miami and it came off as just a failed tv script beautiful art here i should say by max dunbar though slashed and burned seems like spurrier's desperate attempt to get a usa original series and i am giving this a skim it it, I, like I, I'm giving it a skim it on art only. I just thought it was, the dialogue was so annoying. I felt the same way about Survivors Club. I read one and two, and the horror movie puns, yeah, were almost unbearable. Too many. Crackoom! That is your ludicrous speed round, and Crackoom is the onomatopoeia of the week and the sound of the absorbing man and his main squeeze, Titania, as seen this week in the pages of Illuminati number one from Marvel Comics. As you heard earlier, Joe and I checked the solar system to make sure there were no impending blackouts in the near future. Well, I'm pleased to report everything is still spinning happily, but the blackout isn't coming from any of this solar system's planets interacting with the sun. It seems an angry Mogo, the living planet, and member of the Green Lantern Corps is threatening to block out the sun until such time as the Green Lantern books become readable again. <laughs> Though Mogo has refused to speak with us, he sent an emissary, Chip, that's C-H apostrophe P, of the Eleven, to meet with us in the Sanctum Sanctorum to discuss his terms. Joe, why don't you offer our guests some mixed nuts while I lighten the mood a little bit with some discussion of next week's comics. Chip is dead. That joke is in poor taste. Well, we don't know if Chip is dead anymore. They just restarted the whole goddamn universe. <laughs> I guess that's true. <laughs> My pick for next week is Batman Europa number one from DC, written by Matteo Casali and Brian Azzarello, with art by Giuseppe Camincoli and Jim Lee. It's 40 pages for five bucks. Here's your solicit. Superstar artist Jim Lee returns to the Dark Knight with this premiere issue. The impossible has happened. And Batman is on the verge of being taken down by an enemy he cannot defeat. A virus for which there is no cure. And the only hope for his salvation is the Joker. Who infected Batman? What does the Clown Prince of Crime know? And how will the Dark Knight get that information? Together, the enemies crisscross Europe, desperate to find answers before time Ex runs out. Explain to me why you're excited for this. <laughs> I'm, sorry. I'm not. This is not my pick because of excitement. This is my pick because of curiosity. 
this book was announced, no joke, 11 years ago. I remember this. I 2004. Remember. Yeah. And at the time, so this was announced at the time that Jim Lee was still drawing Batman. Yeah. Or he had just gotten off of he Batman. He was working, he like just finished Hush. And so yeah, it's a big deal, Jim Lee returning to Batman, except this book was probably drawn 11 years ago. And, well, I guess no guarantees. Well, no. Who knows why it's late? Giuseppe Comunicoli wasn't working on the book yes, 11 he was. years ago. 11 years ago? Do you remember a book called The Intimates yes. from Wildstorm? Oh. That book came out a long time ago, man. You're right. I think Cameron Coley has been on the scene for a while. Now, maybe he wasn't doing layouts for the book. Maybe this is new art. I don't know. I don't know any of that. I don't know why it was delayed 11 years. So, I don't understand what this project is. I don't understand why it is i don't understand why it's super late because they resolicited it again in 2008 and it never came out then i don't know what this is or or what to expect by it from it uh, i do know that it is ostensibly sort of an artistic experiment featuring primarily european creators right and they're getting around that in this first issue because at the time Jim Lee was supposed to have drawn this, he was living in Italy. <laughs> so you've got Azzarello uh, writing an English version of the script that was co-written by this Italian guy. I would still like to know why you're excited Dr- for this. <laughs> Again, it's all curiosity. Yeah, okay. I'm just like, what? I can't believe this is finally coming would out. Would you call it morbid curiosity? <laughs> or just- I'm super morbidly curious. <laughs> okay. All right. What is your pick for next week and does it involve actual enthusiasm? No, but it does involve an axe. Yeah! I'm excited for the Wrath of the Eternal Warrior, number one from Valiant, written by Robert Venditti. You know with, you're not going to get an axe, right? With art by Raul Allen. I'll buy one off eBay if I have to. 32 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit for five millennia. The Eternal Warrior has shaped history. At the end of his sword, he's raised empires, he's toppled civilizations and broken armies as an immortal soldier in service to the earth. But now the eternal warrior has been torn from the world he wants protected and finds himself stranded in a hostile alien landscape unlike any he's faced before, separated from his earthly environs. Nice use of environs, guys. Can history de- can history's deadliest soldier survive a realm far older far deadlier and far more ruinous than anything he's ever encountered. I love the eternal warrior book. I love the mini that we got. I love what's going on. Valiant comics. I look forward to another valiant book of which I can read the first issue and then ignore completely. You got to keep up. man. I know I'm it's bad. At so this. good. The THN trade of the week is the hour expanding universe graphic novel written and illustrated by Alex Robinson from top shelf, 256 pages for $19.99. What a steal! Here's your solicit. <laughs> Alex Robinson returns with a spiritual sequel to his Eisner-winning debut, Box Office Poison. I loved Box Office Poison. Uh, yeah. It's been 15 years since the young cast of that beloved drama has graced the stage. Now, our expanding universe introduces another Robinson ensemble to explore how time can transform a group of friends, marriage, children, affairs, divorce, and that's just the beginning. Ugh. I don't even care. I don't even care what it's about. Yeah, I'm buying it. <laughs> I Alex love Robinson. Alex Robinson. I'm in. He's one of my faves. Well, those comics all sound good and fun. The bad news is you might want to make sure you've got batteries in your flashlights for the dark walk to your local comic book shop next Wednesday. Turns out Chip 
Although an adorable little squirrel-looking thing turned out to be a real jerk and even left a pile of pellet poop on the ottoman of Agamotto. Except they're huge pellets because Chip is big. Sorry, folks. We tried, but DC just wouldn't listen. So 15 days of darkness it is. It's time to journey to the snowy north, to the wintry wilds of Maine, where our good friend, the Orca, has some insights to share about comic books, their values, and when you should take the money and run. Nailed it. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Take the Money and Run. I'm your toasty, comfy, naked, 92-year-old host, the Orca, broadcasting to a worldwide audience from my brand new ice fishing hut on Moosehead Lake in Beaver Cove, Maine. I bet you think guys are going to make a joke about that, but that's really the name, Beaver Cove. Look it up. I got a new hobby this year, because that's what you do when you turn 92. You get a new hobby. Why the f*** not, am I right? Not getting any younger. I can't always tass on the snow sled like I used to. I can't always tass in the bedroom like I used to. I can still lay the pipe, mind you. But I can't give my signature orca pesiotomy every time, like I used to. I would give you a moment to Google that, but we ain't got time. We're here to make some money. New hobbies are expensive, and so are most other fun time passes. For my new hobby, I need a lot of new stuff. Even a cheap ice shack was $500 worth of lumber. Snowshoes were 100 bucks. The fishing equipment was 300 then I got the space heater, warm clothes, three bottles of bullet rye whiskey, mixes and glasses are for pussies, so I saved some money there, and a depth finder. What I didn't skip on was an auger, 500 bucks, but this thing rips. Like the orca, it loves making little holes much bigger. <laughs> ring, ring, ring. <laughs> All told, I'm looking around at $1,800 visa bill. Ain't cheap, nerds. But it's been a little while since I've splurged, and when I do splurge, I hit up a little savings account that I have on the side I like to call my variant account. This little account for emergencies or rare spending sprees is where I stash all the money I make from selling variant cover comics. Now, the idea of this show is what comics to sell, not what comics to buy to make money. That's all hooey. We buy comics to read. Rule number one always will be. That being said, depending on your retailer or LCS or DCBS or Midtown or whoever your source for funny books, from time to time you may have an option to buy the rarer variant cover. If it's not too much more expensive, and I think that either the image or the artist warrants it, I'll buy the variant. I have rules for this though. Rule number one, it's all about the boobies. I love me some boobies. Typically I stay away from cheesecake comics just because I prefer the real ones. But when it comes to variants, just look for the jubblies. Ass works too, like Manara, but usually cleavage equals dollars. Rule number two, play the hot hand. Some guys are always going to sell well. Adam Hughes, J. Scott Gamble, etc. But don't forget ass that seem to be everywhere, like our beloved Fifi Stapes lately. Frank Avila's a good one too. Sean Murphy, you know the cast. Rule number three, Themes don't do well. Looney Tunes covers, movie covers, now the hip-hop covers, or Scotty Young's baby shit? Skip that. Even something like Marvel exploiting Spider-Gwen or DC doing Harley covers, they don't do much. If they do, it's not for long. 
The whole action figure idea was great until it was overdone. We all knew that Star Wars figure thing would kick ass until they got down to Admiral Akbar and the third Empire lieutenant from the right in the second act of Jedi. Typical Marvel. <laughs> Beat it like it's Glenn's skull. Rule number four. Stick to these three rules unless it's just too cool an image to pass up. It's like your Uncle Cletus back when you were a kid. If it's grabbing you by the balls and demanding your attention, odds are he's grabbing other nerds too. Interest means demand, which means a bump in price down the road. Rule number five. Lastly, don't overpay. Two or three bucks over cover is okay, but when shops are charging $25 for a 1 in 25 variant, skip it. Sometimes you can get these things for covers, depending on your shop. If you pre-order, you can usually get them cheap, too. Make sure your guy knows you like Hughes or Sienkiewicz or whomever. Maybe once in a while he'll put a variant aside for you if you're a regular. Now, how do we determine the money? When to sell is up to you, but keep in mind our other old rule. When it seems like something is just going to go higher and higher, that's when you sell it. When every silly spec site is putting in their top 10 list and telling you how much more room it has to go further, it's probably time to take that money and run. Have that Supergirl Legion Hughes cover? It sold recently for $300, not even slabbed. Warm up the cash register, Joseph. Take the money and run. Now Hughes' Teen Titans number 75 variant of Starfire is selling for $200. Could it go higher? Sure. By one time, his Catwoman Convergence Zero cover was selling for $125, and the last sale on eBay was $39. So $200 for Titans? Take the money and run. Howard the Duck Gwenpool variant? Take the money and run. How about the Valiant stuff, like the Vandy number 3 La Rosa variant? You guessed it, Frank Stallone. Wait, sorry, wrong catchphrase. Sorry. Take the money and run. Pretty much any variant you got in your long boxes... Take the money and run. Next month, we'll get into why TV shows drive prices up until it turns out that the show kind of sucks. Hint, for all you loyal listeners that hung on till the end, go list your preacher number ones and your alias number ones. Until then, kiss kiss nerds. Sort of break it, break it down like this. And that is it for the Friday the 13th episode of THN. If you dig podcasts and laugh in the face of bad luck... Jesus, Joey. Uh, uh, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn. And while you're there, leave us your star ratings, reviews, thumbs up, or hearts because it helps us to connect with other potential listeners. Are you okay? Good God. Ah! Came out of nowhere. Ah! Thank you to uh, thank you to all of our donors, especially this week's newest donors, Jane Louise and Elise Wisdom, who funded the cocktail of the week. That's true. That's true. The he's, queen of Wakanda. He's saying this laying under a large piece of uh, ah! stone that collapsed from the cigarette hey, out of nowhere. Oh, it's acting! <laughs> it's a good thing I had that drink first because I'm numb all over. <laughs> if you want to support THN, you can do so by clicking our PayPal button at TwoHeadedNerd.com to become a sustaining donor. It's as easy as clicking the Make This Donation monthly box and as little as a dollar a month really does help. If you are interested in sponsoring THN for business concerns or creative pursuits, 
shoot us an email with the subject line sponsorship. If you want to yell at us personally, tell us how bad we suck, tell us you want to kill us, whatever. Head over to the twoheadednerd.com where you can find links to all of our contact info. We had some of those emails this week. They were great. They were great. We got threatened this week. I loved it. (laughs) You can find all... You can find all our contact info. You know who you are. <laughs> Via Periscope, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Tumblr, where we post the outtake of the week, and Skype. Or you can call the Ziggurat hotline at 402-819-4894. Just tell us why you're calling when you do. And feel free to just call and say hey. If you dig the music you hear on this show, you can subscribe to our soundtrack playlist on Spotify by searching for Matt Bombs spotify profile if you search for my spotify profile you will find a lot of playlists composed of nothing but 90s jams with a z (laughs) wow before we go our weekly shout out goes to vaughn emmons for becoming our 10,000th follower on twitter 1,000th follower on twitter i don't want to reveal we only have a thousand (laughs) that is public knowledge they can see it when they click on our name word to you vaughn Thank you very much, sir. We appreciate your follow. Took Until next long time. time to get to a thousand. I really did. Longer than I was hoping. Five years. <laughs> Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics because your retailer just might unfollow your Twitter if you don't. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off.